Hi, this is Guy Busick, and I am a co-writer of a couple episodes of Castle Rock Season 2 and the movies Ready or Not and the 2022 Scream. And you are listening to the Don't Go Out There podcast. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. I really appreciate all support. All of you are awesome, and we truly appreciate you. Super excited for this upcoming interview. This is a this is awesome. This is incredible for us. We are thrilled today to be joined by yet another legend of the business, known for his writing credits on Castle Rock, Ready or Not, and 2022 screen and the upcoming Final Destination 6, Mr. Guy Busick. Mr. Busick, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes, pleasure is all ours. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all ours. Um, you know, just kind of jumping right into it, you know, can, can you kind of tell us about your journey into writing, you know, and how you got into the business? Oh, absolutely. No, uh, my, uh, my writing partner on Ready or Not um, Ryan Murphy and I, we always wanted to, you know, make movies and in some capacity, uh, whether it be writing, acting, directing. And we met in uh, junior high when we were 13. And so we'd make, you know, dumb movies in his backyard. So that was always the plan to move out here as soon as we graduated high school. And we did. And he went to USC and I went to Pepperdine. And then we wrote together as a team off, off and on. But when I kind of switched from when I kind of narrowed it down to, I, I think writing is the way I want to go. Um, I was still in college and I interned uh, between uh, semesters over a summer at a big producer's uh, office on a studio lot. And I, a friend of mine had gotten me the gig and I just kind of studied. He had really good taste in material. I studied all the scripts he would buy and kind of like figured out like, what do they all have in common? And that's kind of how I started to learn story structure. And then I got a job at uh, Vidiot's video store and would just, you know, pick a director and just like watch all their movies. So I was, and I obviously picked up all the, the usual screenwriting books, but I was sort of self-taught in that respect until I found some mentors that could teach me, you know, whether they'd be development execs or producers or fellow writers. Um, and then it was just a process. It was, you know, it took, it took a while to, to find my footing, but I had enough encouragement in the early days that I felt like, this is possible. It's just really difficult. So I just stuck with it. Right. And you, and you mentioned uh, your co-writing partner, Ryan Murphy, and, and you guys have been obviously best friends since childhood. Like you said, can you kind of talk a little bit more about, you know, that track together, you know, growing up and, and working in Hollywood and kind of going up through the, through the ranks there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was nice because we weren't always exclusively working as a team. And so when we would go off and write separately or with other partners, we would make new contacts uh, that yeah. the other one might not have. And so we could kind of share information, share those those resources and contacts. And then when we did pretty much exclusively write as a team for many years, um, there's just a shorthand, you know, it's like you've known someone for that long and we kind of right. always felt we shared the same brain, finishing right. each other's sentences. You know, it was hard to even tell after we'd finish a script, like who wrote what? And I was like, was that me or was that you? Um, <laughs> and so we, you know, I guess our journey together was we were writing some uh, kind of larger budget, sci-fi action type stuff and we would sell it we'd sell it as a pitch or we'd sell it as a spec or whatever and so we're making you know a, a decent living but getting something made with a big budget that's not based on ip was really really hard 
You know, studios don't like to take chances that often on original ideas that are that expensive. And so they were good scripts. I'm proud of them, but like they just weren't going to get made. And so we kind of decided, and I had written a horror script previously and Ryan had done several on his own. We hadn't really done a horror one together, but we were like, let's do a horror because it's a genre that is always, you know, in, uh, in demand. The studios are always going to want it. You don't need a big star. Let's figure out a single location um, and keep this budget down to like five, six million and see if we can A, sell it, but then B, push it through the system because it's less of a risk, you know, because it's cheaper and it's genre. You don't need a big actor. So that's when we wrote Ready or Not, which was then titled uh, Family Ritual. And uh, we got Radio Silence attached and immediately it was like, oh, there's three other parts of our brain and we just met them. Um, and we have this like insane mind meld and share the exact same sensibility, sense of humor, and immediately became great friends with them. And then we took out the project and a couple studios were interested. Searchlight uh, picked it up, but it was an original idea that Ryan and I had come up with. Um, and from the day that uh, I still have my notes from the day we came up with the idea and started marking, you know, writing down like character names and stuff that stayed. But from the day I first started taking notes to the day it came out, I think it was six and a half years. It takes oh, wow. a long time. Wow, and uh, and it almost Ooh. died at Searchlight several times, and so it it's it's almost a miracle when something actually gets made. But we were particularly proud of that because it was an original idea, and we kind of had a plan, and we actually accomplished it. And we it, it just like the stars aligned. Everyone involved was on the same page creatively. Searchlight couldn't have been more awesome. Their marketing was great. Um, everything from the art department to cinematography to the direction. It was just like, wow, you just plucked these images out of our, out of our brains. Um, so we couldn't have been happier with radio silence and the whole and the producers and everybody, the cast, my God, got so lucky with that cast. Right. Oh yeah. It was amazing. Um, and before we kind of get into, to ready or not some, I, I have to ask you about, uh, you worked on season two of Castle Rock um, yeah. as a writer, story editor for that season. Can you kind of discuss your, your time working on that show? Absolutely. Um, so I noticed, uh, yeah, so I interviewed with, um, actually, I always forget that this is how it came about, but Ryan and I had pitched a couple of shows, original ideas around town, summer of 18, and they didn't sell, but one of the pitches impressed somebody at Hulu enough, and there was a little overlap with what our show was that we were pitching, and the plan for season two of Castle Rock. And so um, the executive there at Hulu was like, would you, I, I can't buy this because it's too close to something else we have, but would you want to write on Castle Rock? And we're like, absolutely. We're huge Stephen King fans and we'd really liked season one. Um, and so then it was about, now we have to meet Bad Robot uh, executives, um, other Hulu executives and Dusty Thomas and the showrunner. And we, we had a, what we thought was a pretty good meeting with him and he liked our sample. Um, and then we just didn't hear anything for a while. And we're like, well, that's a bummer. That probably didn't work out. Um, and then we got a call on like a Friday night that was like, can you start Monday? Wow. <laughs> and we're like, yes, we can. Uh, and so we got the notes from the room because they had opened a small room, like I think maybe just a week before, possibly like a week and a half. So they had convened a few writers as they were kind of building the room piecemeal by adding people, you know, here and there. But we, it was, uh, we just were dropped into it cold and it was like, we got notes and it was like, okay, so we're doing Annie Wilkes. They had already come up with that. Um, we're doing something supernatural that involves Salem's lot. 
Um, and these stories are going to collide. And I think the goal is to tell an origin story for the Annie Wilkes that we then know in, in misery in the book and the movie. Um, how, how did she get there? You know, she's obviously a troubled and unstable person from the get go, but she, in the book, she, you know, it's revealed she's a baby killer, you know, and then she does this horrible, a horrible thing, uh, as this obsessed fan to this, this poor man, this poor author, um, it's like, how does a person get pushed that far? What did she go through? And so that that was a starting place. And uh, it wasn't supposed to last. Our, our term wasn't supposed to last as long as it did. But, you know, they kept us around and we, we got two scripts out of it. And um, we got to go to set for the second one that we wrote, um, which was one of, or sorry, two of seven. And uh, it was just a really cool experience. I'd never been on a, a set as a TV writer um, where you actually have some, you know, you're the one that's kind of trying to keep everything on the tracks because the director can change out every week for every episode. So you need right. someone there who's just like, you can't actually have that line because that screws up something in two episodes, you know, or we, the blocking, it isn't going to work because you're hinting at something that doesn't make sense or whatever it is. So you kind of actually have to be really vigilant. Um, <laughs> so it's a lot of pressure, but it was also super fun. And it's like, you know, it's like, oh, Tim Robbins wants to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this, <laughs> All right. is, this is my life now. I'm talking to Tim Robbins, oh, uh, who, you know, was just the sweetest guy. But I was like, so, such a huge fan. I was like, yes, Mr. Robbins. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so meek and nervous. Um, well, you, you touched on the stories kind of colliding a little bit. But so, I mean, taking on Annie Wilkes is such a, I mean, what, was that kind of an intimidating task yeah. a, a little bit? Or, or were you, was a little bit of hesitation taking on such an iconic character? I, I think, you know, with, with Annie Wilkes and with the legacy characters in Scream, it's the same thing where it's like you just don't want to be the one to mess it up. Yeah. And right. you, you have, to, I, I, you know, when you're coming from a place of being a fan of the thing and you're coming from a place of love, uh, and not cynicism and you're not trying to just exploit something, but genuinely tell a new story with a character that people already know and care about. Um, yes, it's absolutely intimidating, but once we kind of got the, the AOK from Stephen King himself, um, which was another very surreal moment was like, <laughs> Stephen says he likes it. And it's like, Whoa, oh, man. it's like when, when we wrote the first draft of scream, not to jump around so much, but you know, Kevin Williamson reading it and it's like biting my nails and then right. he, he loves it. And I'm like, Kevin Williamson loves my scream script. That's so weird. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I take all this stuff very, very seriously. And, and so you do feel a, a certain amount of pressure and, uh, you don't, you just want to get it right for the fans. Well, and I don't want to speak for them, but I think at least from a fan's point of view, you can tell, you said coming to it from a point of view of as a fan, like you can tell the love that you have for the characters as a fan as well. And, and that Absolutely. comes out in your writing too. So um, good. Thank you. It's nice to hear. You gave Dewey uh, his best dialogue ever. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, Dewey's, Dewey's my favorite character. So I, I don't know. Are, are, are spoilers okay on this podcast? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, I, I will. I, I don't know how uh, how I'll ever live with myself after what we did. Uh, it's it's rough. It's really really rough. Uh, I, I bet. Yeah. Upset about it, and I, I get it. I get it, and I I feel it too. I mean, like Jamie, my co writer on that, um, he wrote that scene, and it was like uh, a very tough day. And then, like obviously, yeah. on set, I wasn't on set because of uh, COVID restrictions. I didn't get I didn't get to go. Um, but I knew what day that was. And like, we were all just kind of like, Oh, what have we done? What are we doing? What are, is this right? Are we sure this is right? And ultimately it was, you know, I, I still feel it was the right decision for the movie. 
um, yep. for a lot of different reasons, but that doesn't mean it's easy, you know, right. and that I don't feel <laughs> doubt, doubts and second guessing and things like, oh, what have I done? Um, but yeah, I, Dewey's my favorite character. So I was, I mean, and how weird is it to be like, writing you know opening final draft and writing the name sydney and then dialogue under it you know it's like <laughs> i love these movies so much and particularly you know kevin and his dialogue and his how he invented these characters and uh, how they came together with wes craven directing these brilliant actors and how the characters have, have evolved over the years it was like that is a big that is a very intimidating party to walk into but it was, right. it was just really surreal it was just like okay i'm writing the word dewey and then i'm writing words under that that, that oh. david arquette is going to say it's just <laughs> like wow you know i never thought i'd have i'd be this lucky and have this chance that's incredible uh we're getting ready to jump into ready or not but i just wanted to make one quick comment uh one of my favorite uh, directors james Wan, he said of malignant stephen king uh tweeted that he liked malignant and he said there's no greater seal of approval in horror than from Stephen King. So that's awesome for you guys. Yeah, uh, man. Let's jump into Ready or Not real quick. I just wanted to ask, uh, in an earlier draft of the film, Grace was going to be sacrificed by Alex, but that mm-hmm. changed to her surviving and the family dying instead. Uh, what prompted that change in the storyline? I think it was a number of factors. I think it was always an open question. For, for Ryan and I, when we were um, first submitting it as just a spec, um, we thought that that ending would be the most shocking. And sometimes that makes for a good sales tool, um, knowing that you're probably going to change it or that it's a, very likely that you might change it. Um, but just as a, for a person reading it, you want the ending to just slap them across the face and make them talk about it. And so that's that's where the inception of, of him killing her. And it was almost in a way as much Alex's story in that version as, as Grace's because he's sort of now the new head of the family and it's a little Michael Corleone, you know, it's like, what, you know, what have I become? And he sits down at the head of the table where his father had been sitting uh, and they're all staring at that, ch- the Mr. LaBelle chair and the family kind of gathers behind him and you're like, Oh, this is going to go into the new generation now. And it's all going to continue. So it was cool. I mean, I liked that ending, but it just wasn't satisfying. The more we, rewrote you know grace the more we fell in love with her and the more we just felt like we don't want to make a cynical movie like we want this to be fun we want people to leave with a smile on their face and this is such a fun character and she's you know so determined to survive that it just it almost felt mean and i just none of us are really into that you know and the world had changed too since we'd written the first draft the world had you know in in our view, you know, a lot of our view anyway on the team had kind of gone to shit. And it's like, yeah. people don't want something so bleak where you're saying it's stupid to have hope, um, you know, cause the bad guys are always going to win. And cause the bad guys in the real world were winning. <laughs> and it's like, we, <laughs> let's get an escape from that. Let's have grace right. turn, turn the tables and actually, you know, win one for the good guys. You know, it's funny you say that because that's pretty much the review I gave ready or not. So this movie's just fun. It's so fun from, from start to finish so absolutely we yeah we gave it high marks on this show for sure uh and i because of how well ready or not was received um i think it's safe to say there was a lot of excitement widely felt by fans when it was released that you guys were involved with scream or scream five or you know whatever the working title was at that time so you talk a little bit about how you guys became attached to the first scream movie in almost 11 years 
Yeah, that actually, um, it's an interesting story. My uh, writing partner on it, Jamie, who's also a producer on the movie, he has a, a production company called Project X Entertainment with uh, two other people, uh, Paul Meinstein and William Sherrick. And they had a TV deal with Spyglass, the new the new iteration of Spyglass that Gary Barber had just started. So they were just having a meeting um, and they're talking about things on the feature side that, um, that Spyglass now owned. Because when the Weinstein company went belly up, Gary swooped in and picked up some of these titles. And so he now had the rights to scream. And so someone could now make a scream movie. And it was basically just like, Jamie, do you want to write it? <laughs> and he didn't even have to pitch. It was just because, like, you know, this is, this is the guy that wrote Zodiac. Like he's got a, he's got a hell of a reputation. He works on some of the biggest movies, you know, as a script doctor and a, and a rewriter. And he's made some amazing, amazing movies. Um, and as a director as well, he directed a movie called truth. That's great. Um, so it was basically like, do you want it? And Jamie like walked out of the room with his partners and just went, did we just get scream? And then cut to, I'm on vacation with my wife <laughs> uh, in New York and we're celebrating our 10 year wedding anniversary. And I notice we come out of like, a, a, I think it was a play that night, a Broadway play. And we checked my phone and then Jamie had called and we had like three other projects together and with radio silence and they were in various states of development. So I'm like, oh, it's a bad news call. One of them just fell apart or, you know, some, someone said no to this or that. So I was kind of with trepidation, you know, calling him back and very quickly, just like, do you want to write Screen 5 with me? <laughs> and it was that easy. And so I, you know, the easiest yes of my life. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, Jamie and I had known each other for, you know, over 20 years. He's been one of my writing mentors and one of my best friends. And so the idea of actually write, you know, co-writing something with him was, you know, kind of a dream come true. Um, and we just, we really share a lot of the same sensibilities. He knew how big of a fan I was of the franchise and he knew how big a fan he was. And he was like, let's, you know, do it right. Because if we don't do it as fans, someone else is going to do it. And what happens if right. they don't if they don't love it as much as we do? So we felt really oddly protective of it, even though we'd never been involved with them because we just love those movies so much. Right. And then the absolute first thing that we did from there was was call Kevin and just get his involvement. And he was really resistant at first. Um, he was just kind of done with the whole thing. He had some bad experiences, obviously, with the Weinsteins and things, yeah. you know, on the first four movies, like weren't always rosy. And he was just kind of done with it. Um, and then ultimately uh, he came around and he was just like, if we dedicate this movie to Wes, I'll, I'll do it. And so he kind of then became our, our godfather on, on the project. Um, our, our sort of North star, like would these characters do this and does this feel right? Does it feel like a scream movie? Um, and so it, it was just invaluable to have him there. And he went through every draft of the script with us and gave us notes and helped us build it. Um, but Jamie and I really quickly figured out what the story was and we were completely on the same page. The first thing we did was rewatch the four movies together, kind of take notes. Like I'd really like to see this person come back. I really like to reference <laughs> that. And then we would, we wouldn't show each other the notes. And then finally we sat down and did, it was like they had the exact same notes. Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> we're like, we're definitely in sync on this. So, you know, we knew what we wanted and it, we outlined the hell out of it for probably like. I don't know, five, six weeks, something like that, where we were in a room just like riffing and, and improvising dialogue and like talking about story beats and stuff. So by the time we got to the script, the outline was so detailed. The script took like a couple weeks to write. Oh, wow. And it just felt so easy. I've never had a script go that fast. Um, and, you know, there were some changes, but it's kind of surprising how close that original draft uh, is to the final product. Um, 
So we just found the right partners, you know, and the next thing that we had to do was get radio silence on board because we're yeah. like, you know, stepping into West Craven's shoes is, right. is very daunting. Right. But it was like, again, I think there's, they're the only choice because of how well they handle tone, you know, and, and ready or not is really a cousin of scream, you know, like they're, they're similar in tone, like it's scary, but it's funny. Um, and as you said, fun. And that's, you know, the original scream is what really finally fully got me into horror. Cause I was not a horror kid. Um, I was like, Oh, you can have a horror movie. That's fun. And with characters you actually care about and like, and you can be, you know, smart with it. Um, and so you can draw a direct line from, you know, ready or not or from scream to ready or not. Um, so we're like radio silence has to do it. And, uh, they were, you know, involved in another project too. And it could have been that one, but we were so relieved when we got them. Uh, and then we just off to the race. Of course, then the pandemic happened. <laughs> so right. the shoot got, you know, pushed back a few months, but they managed to do it in, uh, fall of, uh, 2020 and nobody got COVID. It was insane. That's awesome. You know, they were just really, really safe. So yeah, up against a lot, but, uh, made it happen. Well, so, and, and you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier when you referenced, uh, Annie Wilkes and we were talking about the legacy characters for Scream, you know, um, <clears throat> Did you guys have multiple versions of the script uh, for Scream, like in case the legacy characters opted out? Uh, we said we did. <laughs> uh, we, you know, because we we had to convince a lot of people that this movie can still happen without them. But in our minds, we were just like, if we don't get these three actors back, and also, you know, I, we really wanted uh, Marley Shelton back and Heather Matarazzo, um, but the big three uh we're kind of sunk like we it won't feel like scream like it's just you need that you need those those characters um and so it was it was terrifying i mean it, there was no guarantee they were going to say yes all we could do was write the best script we could try to give those actors something new to play so they don't feel like they're treading water um put put all of them in a very different place than they were in four you know 10 years have passed um so what has happened in their lives and then just pray, you know, just give them the script, hope they like it. And then one at a time they signed on, but it was, you know, agonizing until it, it, the, the deals had been made. It was like, are, do we have a movie? Are we actually doing this? Because I think Radio Silence, like if they thought it was not going to be possible to get them all back, they probably wouldn't have said yes. And so we really had to be like, no, we're, we're, we're going to get them. We'll get them. I hope. <laughs> right. You know, it was terrifying, but you know, they were just so they're so wonderful, you know, and it's, they, they gave us notes on, on their characters. And it's like, wow, I just got Sydney Prescott notes from Nev Campbell. And that's yeah, right. That, that's pretty cool. And it's and like, you yes, say, yes uh, Nev, you, uh, Sydney would, <laughs> would say that, wouldn't she? Like you would know. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, and, and speaking of multiple versions of the script and you spoke on it being 10 years and, you know, we've got these obviously huge expectations from, from this film coming up once it's announced. I mean, and there were some pretty well-known issues with some of the previous installments with script leaks and killers being changed and all that. Um, how did you guys all address that, preventing this with Scream? Or is that something that wasn't even a, a really thought about a whole lot with you guys? Or Oh, it definitely was. And, and you know, it's sort of a tradition, I guess, to do the, the fake ending. So for the first time, I was happy to write something that I knew wasn't going to get shot because we just <laughs> needed a fake ending. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Jamie and I, we, we had and we couldn't just, you know, do a search replace with the names. It's like you have to make it make sense because if this gets out, you don't want people to think it is fake. 
Uh, you want them to think they've found the real thing. So we actually had to make new, you know, motives and, and killers. And we, one of the, you know, deaths didn't happen at all. And we just went through the whole thing and just had a fake script um, with a code name. And as far <laughs> as like the, the secrecy, it's um, when Radio Silence, Matt Tyler and Chad first read the script, they had to do it in person in a, a hard copy at the Project X conference room. And I wasn't there in the building that day, but Jamie was. And uh, it was like, just, the, you know, behind this closed door. It's like, I wonder where they are in the script. I wonder if they like it. I wonder if they know that we just killed Dewey. And it's like, you know, one of them is going to the bathroom. Is that a good sign? How long did he take? Is he going right back to read or is he, you know, is he getting a snack? Um, and they just, but yeah, it was all, it was all very, very hush hush and, you know, hard copies only. And we're doing that uh, on this new one as well. Uh, Cause we just, you know, it's, we don't want it spoiled and stuff yeah. did get out, but I don't think it was that proliferated. I think it, you know, no. most uh, of the things we wanted to protect were protected. I never saw anything about I said, Steve. I didn't see anything a lot. No, no yeah. I, I didn't yeah. see much of anything. I, which was, yeah, just a huge relief for us. Cause a lot of the stuff did get out or at least people theorizing or like going through the trailers frame by frame or whatever. And, you know, scrutinizing the actors, social media and stuff like that. <laughs> but there, there were just a few things that we were like, please just don't let that get out. And I think some of it didn't, or at least not in a wide way. So uh, it's always a trick with these. Cause there, you know, there's people that go to the locations, you know, and like uh, we I shot know, that in yeah. Wilmington, North Carolina, people would just go to the locations and, and they tap in, yeah, they tap into the radio frequency and they could hear the directors, you know, oh, talking wow. to the actors. And it's like, damn it. <laughs> I know <laughs> wow. you're excited, but just give us a minute. <laughs> wow. Jeez, that's a little intrusive. I, I, no way I would do that. <laughs> um, I have to ask, as a Scream nerd myself, every Scream movie up to this point uh, has a kill at the beginning. You know, that's kind of the big Scream, you know plot point thing you have to have uh how did you guys come to the decision to change up that formula a little a uh, little bit uh to have tara survive the attack uh i think one of the things when we first started talking was that we wanted to really pay respect and homage to the first movie and call back to a lot of it obviously the whole third act takes place in Stu walker's house um, but I think those were the things we talked about first. Like, how can we not, how can we honor the first movie without repeating it? And so we wanted to set up that like, oh, you've kind of seen this before. No, you haven't. And subvert <laughs> it at the last second. And it's like, oh, we've never had a uh, survivor of the opening scene. Um, and wouldn't that be kind of interesting if she becomes one of the, the survivors throughout the movie and one of the main characters. Yep. And we were really excited to play with the sibling relationship between Sam and Tara. Um, and how that has been strained and how that then heals by the end. Um, but yeah, it was, it was like that, you know, for, for all those choices, it was like, how can we how, keep it feeling like Scream? It, it's, the, it's got the same DNA as Scream, yeah. but take some chances. Right. And it's interesting because when we decided to take the swing with, uh, with Billy Loomis, um, that was one of the first things we, we talked about was that the main character should be his illegitimate daughter. Um, and then we've got the idea, like, let's see if we can get Skeet back. <laughs> and Kevin, you know, from the get-go was like, this is the one thing that just doesn't feel like Scream, and that's why you have to do it. <laughs> nice. And, and it was like, okay, got the blessing. Because um, it, it is it is a big swing, you know, to bring that character back in that form, you know, this sort of um, devil on the shoulder of your main character. Um, but I just feel like, you know, Skeet and Matthew in, in the first one are – 
as much of the reason I love that movie as as the other actors. You know, it's just like that chemistry that they had and and the the reveal and the kitchen scene and all that. It's just like that's that's perfection to me. So it's like, yeah, let's bring Billy back if we can. And Skeet was game, and he didn't know if it was going to work. None of us knew if it was going to work. A lot of people were nervous. <laughs> we were waiting for the call saying like you got to cut it or just don't even bother shooting it. Um, and then when people saw it, everyone was like, this works. This is, this is okay. We didn't know how the fans were going to react, but at least, yeah. you know, the studio and everybody, the, the people we were trying to please, you know, who were spending the money on this, uh, they liked it. So I'm glad we did it. Absolutely. Uh, Scream is releasing today actually on digital, which I'm very excited to go back and watch it again. There are a lot of Easter eggs all throughout that a lot of people have already kind of pointed out on the internet. We pointed it out on our show, but are, you know, including nice. the Dawson Creek episode with Scott Foley being shown. Are there any other Easter eggs that a lot of people aren't talking about that you are kind of like, ah, how, how are you guys missing this? <laughs> I don't know if there's any that are like super, super obvious. I, I was surprised to find out how many radio silence included. I mean, there's stuff that I still haven't even caught. Nope. Um, <laughs> I'd say there's a lot of Wes Craven references and Nightmare on Elm Street references yeah. throughout the movie. Um, the Vince, Vince characters, uh, tattoos are all, all references to Wes Craven movies. Um, like at, at the Randy Meeks Memorial Home Theater at the Meeks Martin House, <laughs> um, all of his movies are in the collection. It's, you know, The Last House on the Left, People Under the Stairs, uh, the whole shebang. Um, uh, Sydney lives on Elm Street uh in in the original um gosh i mean the coolest one for me was we went and got other legacy actors who had been in the other four movies who didn't actually appear to then record for us yes, the toast yeah. to wes really cool to find that um, out and that meant a lot to me it was yeah it was su such a thrill i mean it's like henry winkler and hayden panettiere and Matthew Lillard then was also the voice of Chrome Face, Ghost Face, and Stab yeah. Eight. Um, you know, he's just, I, and I got to meet him. There was a cast screening, and he came, and I was I'm the biggest Matthew Lillard fan, so I was totally oh, geeking yeah. out about Twin Peaks and the bridge and like everything he's ever done. And I was like, wow, you really are a fan, kind of, kind of giving a weird vibe over here, buddy. Uh, no, he, he was great, uh, but I got a picture taken with him and, and my wife, and like I will treasure that forever. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of, a, a lot of love. I mean, these, these actors who have been in these movies, they meant a lot to them. They were good experiences, I think overall. So they were happy to come back and honor that, you know, iconic and brilliant director. Um, yeah, I think I'm trying to think of others. Uh, I know there are, there are just a ton. Um, I, the one I liked, uh, also was, uh, the reference to Tatum. Um, yeah, in Dewey's yeah. trailer, you see a, a little box, presumably mm -hmm. with her ashes, um, and that all oh, that meant something to me because she's never really referenced in the other right. movies. I guess there was a deleted scene in four where they that Dewey talks about it, and it was cut. I've never seen it, um, but I've heard about, I read about it. And then there is the one one line in three when the killer is taunting him on the phone, um, says something mean about his his sister dying. But like otherwise, you've never seen what that meant, what that death meant to him. And right. I always thought that was, you know, a missed opportunity. Like, let's explore the weight of that. And honestly, Sad Dewey was yeah. the other thing that got me excited was like, let's put this guy in a really rough spot. Very much Give so. David something new to play and make him kind of the uh, the old guy at the bar, like Quint and Jaws. And it's like, oh, I'll tell you about Ghostface. <laughs> you know, he's been through so much, this poor guy. And uh uh, yeah, he was it, that version of Dewey got me really excited. It was like that and the skeet thing were the things at the top of my mind. Like, 
God, I can't wait to do this. I like the direction that uh, you guys went with a few things, kind of touching on elevated horror as a thing, you know, <laughs> how that's kind of big within the horror community. But one kind of Easter egg, if you want to call it, that kind of got me, what, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio mean pointing at the screen. And I, I don't know if this is <laughs> you guys or not, but it was Dead Meat and Chelsea being in the film. Is that something you guys put in your script originally and, you know, reached out to them? How did that all come about? Because as a movie reviewer, that was pretty cool to see. No, that that we were so grateful for to them for doing it. Basically, when we, it was a later draft, might have even been in production that we were always toggling how much we were going to see of Stab Eight, and we really wanted the toxic fandom theme and motivation to land. And so we thought we should show one of those. I think they're kind of shitty, like why this movie sucks, you know, yeah. plot holes, whatever, you know, I don't like that kind of stuff. It's like, right. who, who are you, you know, who are you doing this for? Why are you punching right. down? People cared about this. And if it didn't work out, it's, you know, they're probably sad about it. So why make fun of it? Right. Um, so I, I don't really like those things, but we wanted that. And so we're like, well, let's go the other way and get, you know, reviewers um, <laughs> and, who are friends of radio silence. They know, they know them personally. Um, and so they just called and said, this is a, you know, these are recognizable people and they're kind of doing a different version of, of yeah. them, so, you know, a very different <laughs> version of their show and, and their personalities by picking on stab eight. And, and <laughs> yeah, that, they were great. I mean, we wrote that pretty late because I think at one point Richie was just going to be watching stab eight and we're like, no, let's have him watching uh, a critique of stab eight that we then learn later that he completely agrees with. And that's why he's murdering people because they ruined his beloved franchise. <laughs> really cool. Meta moment. Gotta say one of my favorites. That was great. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I love seeing dead meat. Cause I'm a big fan of their channel. A uh, guy, we're about to move on from screen, but I just have one quick question. Sure. Uh, this may not be relevant at all, or I could be completely off, but after watching scream scream five, I really got like, you know, when you're talking about Dewey earlier as your favorite character, I kind of felt like he he reminded me of Sheriff Hopper in Stranger Things. Was was there any correlation there or or am I just imagining things in my mind? <laughs> I don't think that actually came up. It might have with Radio Silence, but when Jamie and I were creating that new version of him, um, I don't think that was one of our references. But yeah, I, I can see it clearly now that you've said it. Um, <laughs> it wasn't wasn't intentional, but it's it's certainly there. Just seeing Dewey in that trailer out by himself, it just <laughs> I love Stranger Things and I love seeing I love Dewey's character arc in this movie. I think he did a he's fantastic yeah, job with it. Absolutely agree. Thanks. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that because a lot of people are mad at us right now. So hearing no, some I think it's my favorite portrayal. It's my favorite portrayal of Dewey and your decision to, you know, kill him off. I know that was hard, but but I I I do appreciate from a you know big screen fans standpoint that you you had to kind of get rid of one of these three to have some weight. And I felt like it was the right call and, and it was a great scene by the way. So. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So it was a, it was a tough one, but yeah, I, I, we really did firmly believe this is, this is the best thing for the movie and the best yep, thing yeah. for the franchise at this point. And you don't want it to get stale. And as Kevin right. said uh, to us at one point, he's like, it's a slasher movie. People are going to die. Yeah. You know, it's true. You got, you got to do it. So yep. he, once we had, you know, his support and, and David came in knowing full well what he, he was getting into and he was very game and it was great sport about it. Um, and I'm sure it was really sad and hard for him. Yeah. So again, I feel a lot of mixed feelings, but it's like he did such a good job in this movie. I just feel like 
man, he killed it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. he, he was yeah, great. He's so good in it. I think, you know, all of the legacy and all the new cast are, are brilliant. Yeah. Man, yeah. I was so happy to see David playing something a little different, but it's still, yep. yeah, the heart of Dewey, you know, he's got, yep. he's got that, that huge heart. Absolutely. And okay, so moving on to another franchise that I'm personally a big fan of, <laughs> Final Destination franchise. Um, you know, it's been announced that. I mean, I guess I can say that because it's been announced, but that you're helping. You know, you're writing the Final Destination Six. I know you can't tell us anything about it, um, but can you talk to us a little bit about you know entering what has become you know a, a pretty iconic franchise in itself? I mean, and it's been since 2011 when Part Five was was released too. So, which is actually, by the way, a really good installment in that franchise. By the way, just I don't. Oh, I, I agree. Was, it was yeah. much better than it had any business being to me. But uh, how did how did you kind of approach you know jumping into another franchise like that? Well, it it kind of came about in an unusual way. Um, we okay, so John Watts, the director of the Spider Man movies in the MCU, um, biggest director in the world right now, uh, <laughs> at some point had a chat with New Line about Final Destination, and he always loved those movies and that that sort of premise, that beautiful clean premise. Um, that Jeffrey Reddick came up with on the first one. Um, and so he went to them and was like, I have an idea for another Final Destination that's a little different. And I don't know if you guys would be open to it. And they were like, absolutely. So he wrote a treatment. And it's, you know, it very, it's only like five pages, but it's very detailed. It's like a really, here's the idea, here are the characters, and here's a, here's a loose structure. And so then New Line, and a lot of other places do this too, but I think New Line is kind of known for this. They do what they call roundtables, where they just pay horror, you know, writers in whatever genre of the movie that they're developing a daily rate uh, to just hang out. And usually it's in a room, but now it's on Zoom. Um, just hang out and pitch ideas. And so I got invited to that. And I was like, oh, that's awesome, because I love these movies. And, you know, I would love to do that. So they sent us the treatment, and then we kind of just built on that, like, pitching death sequences, pitching character arcs, stuff like that. So another, a good friend of mine, who's also a horror writer was also on that. And we found out like the night before, it's like, oh, I'm gonna see you tomorrow at the Final Destination thing. Oh, and nice. so it was us and like, I don't know, six or seven other horror writers. And the thing about these things is when there's not a, a, a contract set for you know one or two writers or whatever to work on it, these are kind of auditions too. It's oh, like, okay. who really gets this? And so they approached a few of us, um, to come in and officially pitch. And they asked both me and Lori. And I was super, super busy and didn't know if I could pull it off uh, with my workload. She was about to go off and direct her first movie based on her great script called Bed Rest. Okay. And so, but we both loved the franchise. And the other thing is I have a rule, and I think Lori does too, that we, we never pitch against friends. It's just it, things get ugly. You know, It's like right. feelings are hurt. So if I ever find out that someone I know is pitching on a project, I'll just immediately back out. And, but we were like, well, we don't really have time solo. What if we team up? And we'd never written before or anything, but we have, again, a, like a really good friendship and share the same kind of sensibilities and tastes. So it was like, I think we can make this work. So we pitched as a team and we got the gig. So really we are still working from, you know, John's, ideas john's treatment um right. we're, we're scripting now we have some really really fun stuff i wish i could tell you about it because his idea is so cool um i think the fans are gonna be like oh this is new but it's it's still what we love 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's not any kind of a reboot. It's not saying not, nothing, you know, those other things didn't happen, but it is its own thing in a really exciting way. Um, yeah, and we just actually had a meeting on it today with uh, the producers, John Watts and um, Craig Perry, and uh, pitched them some new ideas for, you know, certain scenes, and it went really well. So I feel like we're all creatively on the same page. We're all getting along really well. John's just the coolest guy. I mean, he's so smart and talented and, like, you know, very non-Hollywood, you know, it's like, he's very humble and he's very just chill. Um, so he, it's been really cool to work with him because I, you know, I love No Way Home and the other, his other two Spider-Mans and Cop Car. And I'm just like, I've been a fan for years. So um, getting to work with him is, is really neat. Uh, but I think you guys will like it. I think, you know, hopefully we're we'll, excited. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, I am too. I, you know, we don't have a director yet. We don't have a cast yet. We don't have a location or a budget because we need a script first and we're still working <laughs> on it. Um, but you know, things are progressing. And I know that new line and they want it to, I think be HBO max. I think they're really hungry for this. And so if we can get this right and get it right quickly, then hopefully things uh, keep progressing. Oh, that's great. I'm excited. Yeah. It, good. It's also been announced that uh, there's going to be a sixth installment in the scream franchise. Uh, <laughs> I know a lot of things kind of, change in regards to you know story and script and all that as the process goes and i know you can't tell us any of that and i wouldn't really want you to honestly but, it's, <laughs> but are there ideas that you had while doing the last one or while working on the last one that you're like oh if we get another chance at this this is where i'd like to take that story it's kind of a yes and no um because of course we had conversations and ideas here and there but our thing, like, and Jamie's worked on movies that were supposed to be franchise starters that just didn't go, you know, it's like, so the idea of holding something back for a potential sequel or planning right. out a trilogy when you don't know how the first one's going to do, it's just, it's counterproductive. And it's like, right. just make the best movie now that you can make, put everything into it now, because if this is the last Scream movie, right. you know, for another 10 years, make it as good as possible and, and don't just save stuff. But that said, of course, we were like, oh, you know, we're establishing this new younger cast. Where would we like to see them go in their lives? Um, where would we take their character arcs? What's another, you know, what would be another motivation for a ghost face that feels very relevant and timely? Right. You know, like like we kind of took on toxic fandom with, with the last one. Like, what's something else we could say with this franchise, which is so, it's always commenting about, movies the state of the you yeah. know genre the horror genre specifically and then the relationship between fans and the creators and uh there's just a lot to say and so it's like yeah we we definitely had ideas and it's the funniest thing i told you the story about how we jamie and i wrote our notes separately kind of secretly and they were very they were overlapping almost entirely same thing on on six when we first had our conversations last year where it's like okay this is because the movie had been shot and everyone was really happy with it. And it's like, okay, I think I, th as long as it hits, as long as it doesn't absolutely tank, <laughs> then I think we're going to get to do another one. So what is it going to be? And again, we like held up our notebooks and it was the same stuff. That's so great. It, it's just, I, we feel really good about this. Good. It's got, the script has gotten a really good response. Um, I got one of the best emails of my life uh, two days ago because Kevin had just read it. And it was, he, oh, nice. it. He, he was so effusive that it was just like, man, that's, that's a great feeling, you know, that the, the creator <laughs> of all this that's, trusts that's us awesome. to move this forward. And absolutely. 
man, it's just, it's such a good feeling. So I, I'm so excited for this next one. Um, I, I think we can match or, or exceed uh, what we did with five. Um, it's a, it's a really fun idea. So again, we hope the fans accept us and go along for the ride. And if we get to do more than, more than six, fantastic, but we're have the same attitude with this one. It's like, don't save anything. This, right. this one might, you know, not work. And then it all goes away. So don't, don't end on the cliffhanger, you know, like Absolutely. make sure you give them a full meal um, and not just the appetizer. That's awesome. You know, if you need three handsome podcast hosts, I know some guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll, keep you, I'll keep you at the top of the list. There we <laughs> go. I, I could talk about the Stab franchise all day. So okay. <laughs> nice. Uh, guy, this has been an incredible interview. Absolutely. I've really enjoyed listening to you talk. Uh, oh, hearing you. your thoughts has been amazing. Uh, is there anything else coming up for Guy Music that you want to share with our audience? Uh, want to plug anything? Yes, Scream uh, is out digitally today as we are recording this, uh, March the 1st, uh, and you can find that, and it's going to be streaming on Paramount Plus starting on March the 7th, and then we the, uh, the hard copies, the Blu-rays, 4K discs, and DVDs will be out, I believe, the first week of April. I think most of it hasn't been announced yet, so I don't want to get myself Absolutely. in hot water. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, you know, uh, it, it, things will be announced soon several things i think are getting getting close to you know the green light area so um yeah i'm, I'm still working you know with ryan on a couple things that i'm really excited about that I, I hope those get announced soon um and uh, yeah but the, the two the two priorities right now the urgency is really behind uh six scream six and uh and fd6 um and then then hopefully other stuff will be announced and i can talk about it then but <laughs> yeah <laughs> You can follow me on Twitter. It's just uh, at Guy Busick. Um, okay. And I should get more on Instagram, and I, I keep saying I'm going to do that, but uh, really I don't – I'm not so much on that. Uh, well, you don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> you got time for that? It's good to be busy. I, I won't lie. Yeah. Um, a, lot, a lot of fun projects, so I feel very lucky, and I'm very grateful that, that I'm getting to work on these things. Absolutely. Uh, right. Just want to thank you again for your time yes, coming you on the show. Really appreciate this it. This has uh, been it's an incredible pleasure, interview. Guys. Yeah, it's been fun talking to you. Thanks again for having me. Yes, sir. Just want to remind everybody. Oh.